Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 17 of the Hockey Writers Live here on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel. I am your host, Chad Dedeminis, is coming at you from Buffalo, New York, and we have a great show planned for you today. There are things happening around the league. The first one of the playoffs are over. The second round is about to begin. Coaching changes, house cleanings, a lot to talk about this week. We're going to start this week by talking about the Buffalo Sabres with Kyle, who is the contributing writer at the Hockey Writers for the Buffalo Sabres. And then we're going to shift our focus to some playoff teams who were knocked out in the first round. We'll talk with Brandon Sher-Cohen, who covers the Chicago Blackhawks. We'll also talk about a little Boston Bruins with him as well. And then we'll end the show talking with Nick Guido, who is a contributing writer at the Hockey Writers for the Montreal Canadiens. We will get a feel of what's going on in Montreal. A lot of big changes could be on the way. A lot of contracts are up. A lot of decisions to be made. Montreal is a very interesting team, as always, with the Hockey Craze fans up there. So let's not waste any time, and let's get right into it. Right in my wheelhouse here, being from Buffalo, we're going to talk with Kyle here and get an idea of exactly what has happened in Buffalo and what is lying ahead for that franchise who is making another shift after cleaning house. Let's get to Kyle here and see what's going on. All right, so with me now I have Kyle Selagi, who is the contributing writer at the Hockey Writers for the Buffalo Sabres. As I mentioned, Kyle, Chad here, man. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So let's let's get right into it. We uh, we know Bowsman wasn't really surprising, so I'm gonna kind of skip over him here. Uh, but Murray, um, first of all, one of, it was shocking for me. I don't know about you. And two, uh, are you in favor of the move to move on from Murray? I'm not in favor at all <laughs> of moving on from Murray. Uh, kind of selfishly, I'm really gonna miss his press conferences. They were some of the most entertaining things. Uh, on television or radio, just in general, to me, and um, I agree with that. And uh, I, th- I think he was a solid general manager throughout the three years that we had him. Uh, he made some solid moves with uh, O'Reilly. You know, I think Colorado fans kind of view that trade more favorably than we do. But from our perspective, I think that was a a steal. Right. Uh, and um, Robin Lehner. I know a lot of people don't like Robin Lehner, but I think he improved this season. Uh, was he worth a first-round pick? That's debatable, but I think he was definitely a solid starting goalie. And, again, he acquired Nilsson as well for a, a mid-round pick, and he was solid as well. True. Very true. So I guess before we get more into that whole part with the GM thing, you know, you wrote an article uh, recently titled Eichel isn't in charge. So I think we're kind of remiss here if you don't at least mention the Eichel aspect of this. So before the news came out on Bilesma and Murray, for those of you who have been living under a rock who are listening, uh, Eichel based, there was a report that Eichel said he wasn't going to sign an extension if Bilesma was still around. Uh, the agent and Eichel both said that was false. Pagula said that was false. Um, but basically I'm assuming here, you know, hey, you don't think Eichel had anything to do with this. That was my question is, how much effect think Eichel had on this? But by your article that you wrote, I, I assume your answer here is going to be a uh, not very much at all. Right. <clears throat> I don't think... I mean, we, we can really only go off of what they've told us. I mean, there was a rumor that he gave the ultimatum, but, I mean, everybody involved has declined it, so uh, we really can't say that he had anything to do with the firing because everybody's denied it. But even if he did have anything to do with the firing, I think that shows more leadership than it does uh, diva qualities. Um because that shows that the team 
I mean, this is, of course, speculating that he did say that, which I don't think he did. But if he did, that shows that the team chose him right. to be the one to, uh, you know, speak up on behalf of them and show that they really think that he's a leader. And he's developed as a leader this uh, throughout this season, both on ice and off ice, obviously. So I think uh, there really isn't a conversation as to who should be the captain anymore. <laughs> I think uh, it's it's pretty obvious that Eichel's going to be the guy. But... Yeah, but again, that's all speculation. I really don't think that Eichel had anything to do with this. I think that just comes down to the fact that the team was not succeeding under Biles Mun Murray. You know, for me, um, to give my two cents here on that, it's you could maybe agree or disagree with me, but I, I don't know if I buy Eichel said all those things like he's not signing an extension if Biles Mun is still here. What I do believe is Eichel had a, I believe he had a, I'm pretty sure he had a meeting with the Bagulas and Maybe Eichel said he wasn't happy with the situation in general, wasn't happy with the losing, wasn't happy with the way the franchise was headed, and didn't maybe point fingers at anybody, just kind of left it that way. And maybe that went into Pagula's decision a little bit. And I think that's the right move here. I mean, he's your star player. He's the face of your franchise. If he says those things, then I, I don't care. If he says and feels those things, then I think you should take that to heart. Exactly. And I, I, I think this needs to be said. If... The Sabres were a wild card team. If they had qualified for the playoffs and Eichel went to the Pagulas and was like, I'm not really happy with the situation. I'm not happy with him as coach. I think they would have respected what he said, but we're winning. Right. So I think I think Bilesma would have stayed on and Murray. But the bottom line is that we're not winning. And if your star player is not happy on top of that, then something has to be done. So speaking of the Pagulas, you know, I, I got to ask you because I'm personally, I'm a little leery about it. I mean, Let's just focus on the Sabre side of things. They're about to hire their fourth head coach, their third general manager, and possibly the second director of hockey operations in six years. I mean, how much faith, one, do you have, and how much faith think the fans should put in the Bagulas getting this right? That's a good question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm as big of a fan of the Bagulas as anybody in Buffalo uh, because, you know, he's just done a lot for the city. But as you said, from a Sabres perspective – uh, we've made the playoffs once under his ownership, and that was, uh, I think he owned the team for like two months. Correct, yeah. That's, that season that we made the playoffs, and we haven't made it since. So I don't know if that shows that he's not a, a great owner, but uh, I think that, I mean, I think he said that he wasn't very involved with the coaching search Correct. Um, for Bilesma. So I think I if he's more involved in this one, maybe – Maybe he just wasn't involved in the last one, and that's how he messed up. I mean, I can only hope that he'll. I can only hope that he'll get it right this time. But I think that fans should be. Uh, I think that fans should trust him because he's an incredibly smart businessman. Uh, he's a billionaire, uh, even though he made his money through questionable means. But we're not going to get into that. <laughs> but so if he's involved in the coaching search this time, uh, I think that'll be beneficial because you know it'll be his vision, and I think that's. I think that's what we need in this organization is one vision and uh, hopefully something that'll uh, lead to the end of this rebuild that's been going on for seemingly ever. So what what camp are you in? Do you think that maybe do you think that he should go with a, a hockey head general manager and then coach, or are you more in the just general manager coach category? Uh, I'm fully on board with a president of hockey operations because. I know I just said how I want Pagula to be involved in the search, but I think Pagula, I think Pagula should pick his president of hockey operations, and then he should kind of 
cut himself off. I agree. Um, I agree. I think he should hire somebody to come in and make all the hockey decisions. He can hire the general manager who can have a say in the head coach. And, um, but you know, we've seen uh, a president of hockey operations system work just two hours up the road in Toronto with uh, Brendan Shanahan, Lou Lamarello, Mike Babcock. I mean, that's a, it's a duo or a trio that's obviously worked because they finished last in last place in the league last year, and now uh, they just got eliminated from the playoffs. So it's obvious. I mean, there's it's succeeded and failed in other places, but the most uh, probably present example is in Toronto, where the president of hockey operations system has worked. So I'm gonna go here. Where where do you? in your mind, I guess, think the Sabres should go, what direction should they go in? Should they go with the experience? Should they go with younger guys like John Shannon, how to tweet a couple hours ago, about an hour ago, uh, look for names like Botterill, Fuda, Conroy, Gilman, Fenton, Dubas. I mean, do you think they should go that route? Or do you think maybe they should go for more experienced guys like Lombardi or Don Maloney is the only name I've heard as an experienced guy, which where, where do you fall on that? Oh, well, uh, I was thinking Lombardi, but now that Dubas is a possibility, I really like Kyle Dubas in Toronto. But uh, I'll, I'll stick to my guns. Um, I think Dean Lombardi is probably the direction to go here. He's a two-time Cup champion. Uh, you know, people can say all you want that they uh, he got LA in cut or in cap troubles, but I mean, he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. We need a winning pedigree here, and I think he he's an experienced GM, and I think that's what we need. I we I mean, we tried to hire a. Uh, um, a first-time GM last time, and I think it was successful, but obviously it wasn't successful because he was fired after three years. So I think the way to go here is with an uh, experienced general manager, and I think Dean Lombardi's the guy. So do you think Lombardi should be the general manager, or would you see him more in your vision as a director of hockey operations guy? I see Lombardi as a GM. Uh, I This is just pure... Uh, Hometown pride for me, but I really <laughs> want Lindy Ruff to be the president of hockey operations. Wow, okay. If, if, he, if he doesn't want to coach anymore. Um, he may still want to coach, and that's perfectly fine, but, you know, he's been around the league for 30 years. He's uh, very experienced, very well-respected around the league, knows the players because he's been coaching in the league for so long. Uh, I don't know if he has any interest in taking on a role like that, but I think he would succeed. And what about the coach? I asked about GM. I guess I was asking about the coach. Do you have any uh, any guys in there? I mean, same question, I guess. Do you want more of an experienced guy, or maybe do you want to look in the college ranks or the AHL ranks or an assistant coach? I think I think the uh, probably the most obvious choice right now is probably David Quinn from BU. Uh, that was Eichel's coach, and they run a or from what I've heard, they run a very pro style uh, team there. But I kind of I have a choice that I tweeted it out the other day. It wasn't received very well, but I think Patrick Waugh, it would be oh, a near a near perfect fit here. Uh, I mean, I know. Go, I know go ahead, I'll let you explain it. <laughs> okay, so I, I just looked at some stats with a 2013-14 Colorado Avalanche. Their roster is very was very similar to Buffalo's now. You had young players. Headlining the roster, Duchesne, McKinnon, Landis Cog, they had O'Reilly, um, you know, they had Paul Stastny, all younger guys. And he won the Central Division with that roster. You know, I, that roster or that division had Chicago, St. Louis, two of the more talented teams in the league at that time. And 
Uh, he won the Jack Adams that year. He obviously helps with goalies. Varlamov had the best year of his career there. That year, he was a Vesna finalist. Uh, and, you know, it was a first-round exit, but, you know, it was a surprise. You know, like, look at this young team led by Patrick Waugh that just won the Central Division. And I think Patrick Waugh could come in here and do pull a little more magic. Well, the sirens you heard behind you there, Kyle, I think that was the crazy wagon coming to get you because... No, no. <laughs> Um, I mean, I mean, it, it it makes sense. I, I, you know, there was conversations. I think the first time around about Patrick Waugh possibly fitting, uh, in Buffalo. That was you know before Murray was hired. I think you know his name was out there even as a coach too, uh, before Bilesma. But um, I don't know. I guess for me, I I just I, I don't know. I don't I don't like it. Um, but I mean, I respect the opinion. It makes sense. I mean, you have valid arguments. He took a young team to a position that was not expected. Uh, beat as it will, it might have went away a couple of years later, but mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to disregard your points. They're valid points. We may disagree here, but I'll give you credit. They are very valid points. Well, I guess that's all I can ask for, really. <laughs> <laughs> so Kyle Salagi here, the contributing writer at the fourth period for the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, he also covers the Buffalo Bills for the Bills Wire. He's a contributing writer there as well. So Kyle has a busy week ahead of us with the general manager stuff, the coach stuff, and the NFL draft is on Thursday. Well, starts on Thursday. Uh, you can file, follow Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Salegi, S-I-L-A-G-Y-I for his last name. Kyle, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Some great comments, some great takes. Uh, I definitely got to have you on again when we finally find out what's really going to happen here. All right, thanks for having me. Welcome back to the Hockey Writers Live here on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel. So we're going to focus on some teams now that were uh, playoff teams that were knocked out of the first round. And I reached out to Buddy, who you've heard here before, Brandon Cher-Cohen, to talk about some Blackhawks and Bruins. Uh, Brandon, Chad here again, man. Thanks for coming on. It's always a pleasure, Chad. So let's start with Chicago. They are the ninth-ranked team in goals for this season, but they couldn't put any past Pecorine in the first round. What in the world happened with Chicago? That's, uh, that's the magic question, right? Uh, like you said, you know, offensively gifted team, uh, not just this year, but you know they've set the, uh, the standard for being a good team over the last uh, you know, decade or so. And uh, this year it just seemed to all fall apart at the worst possible time. Uh, it wasn't like there were really many injuries to speak for. Uh, and Isimov was back. Uh, Taves was playing. Kane was playing. Panarin was playing. And they combined for, what was it, five points in four games. Right. That's, uh, that's not acceptable. And, I mean, we've already seen repercussions from it. We've seen the uh, assistant coach, you know, Kitchen get fired, which apparently has opened up a large uh, subplot with Kenville and Bowman. And then we've seen... Uh, Dent, the coach for Rockford, get fired. Huh. So it's a it's a pretty tough time right now in the Blackhawks organization, which is weird considering you know finishing first place in the uh, in the West again. Yeah, so that was you know I mean looking from the outside in here for me at least I mean that was kind of a surprising finish for them, wasn't it? No, I mean we kind of maybe expect them to be a playoff team, but the best team in the Western Conference, you know, I guess when the season started, I didn't really see that. No, and I mean, you had Dallas last year emerge as one of the better teams in the league. 
uh, goaltending gone their way this year. I don't think anybody's uh, really surprised by that. But to not make the playoffs was, uh, I mean, a pretty big fall from grace. But uh, like you said, I mean, St. Louis is a good team, and they have their issues. Uh, Nashville is a good team, but they've had their issues. Minnesota, I mean, they were so strong to start the year, and then right. they kind of collapsed towards the end of the year. But Chicago, um, I mean, they were expected to be, like you said, a playoff team. Maybe not first in the uh, in the West, but you know, within like the first two or three positions in the, uh, the division for sure. But to finish first and then to just be completely blanked by a goalie like that. And, I mean, no one's surprised by Rene being good. He's been good throughout his career. But to just be lights out the way he was against a team like Chicago, it's uh, it's shocking. So you mentioned, you know, the changes, uh, Kitchener, Kitchen and then the uh, HL coach. Uh, Quenville's safe. Bowman already said that, at least for this season. Uh, is there anything else that we should be maybe prepared for? Maybe players that... I don't know, it could be a surprise out of Chicago to, to be moved, at least? I don't know that there can possibly be surprises with Chicago players being moved anymore. That's true. With the way, the way they've operated since 2010. Um, did anyone see Bufflin, uh, Ladd, um, I mean Saad, yep. all these players that, you know, especially Saad. The guy looked like such a, a young stud in Chicago, and he was a young stud. And then, you know, RFA, they can't afford to resign him, so they move him. But uh, that actually is interesting because they traded him, and one of the big pieces in return was Anisimov. Do they really need Anisimov with Nick Schmaltz there? That's a big contract that they can potentially move. Hmm. Uh, all speculation. I haven't heard anything about him actually being shocked or anything. But that's a name that I'd keep an eye on for sure. Is Anisimov one of those guys that, I mean, he's played well in Chicago, but is he maybe boosted by Patrick Kane? I think... He doesn't play well in Chicago. I think he plays well with Patrick Kane and, and uh, Artemi Panarin. Uh-huh. I think he's always been a solid player. I've always liked him. But I think um, it was Blackhawks Breakdown, the Twitter account, that mentioned that without them, he's one of the worst possession players in the league. Wow, that's interesting. So, I mean, he's a solid player. But when you're talking about actual metrics, you've got to, I mean, you have to. In this day and age, you have to pay attention to both sides, the eye test and the actual analytics. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, he's not exactly the most... Um, like cornerstone esque player, you know, you can find somebody else. And like I said, they already have Schmaltz. They have Kruger. Kruger could also step up, and uh, though he's more of a fourth line player, you put anyone between those two, uh, Kane and Panarin, they can produce. So last guy I want to ask you about is uh, Corey Crawford. Um, he, I guess you could. I mean, he had a Corey Crawford year. Um, I don't want to say he was awful in the first round, but maybe he. I guess he got outdueled by Rene, right? So. Do you think, I mean, he's got a big contract too. Do you think he's safe in Chicago? Or, I mean, I don't know what the goalie prospects are behind him. I know this darling, but he's an unrestricted free agent. Do you think Crawford will be back next season? Or I know there was some talk he could be moved. Um, well, Crawford's name has always been up in discussion, not so much by the team, but just among media and fans and whatnot. It's always one of those things where, you know, you have a player or two where people want to trade them or they want to keep them. There's always two camps. Uh Crawford, like you said, he had a. It wasn't a poor showing, I'd say. I know he had a 902 save percentage, which obviously isn't good. And, I mean, he lost. There's, there's no way around it. He lost. But at the same time, the numbers don't tell the whole story. I think if you would have watched uh, any of the games, not you, but the Royal U, if people would have watched uh, any of the games, they would see that he actually kept them in uh, a lot of tight situations. And when Darling spoke at the end of the year, the way it sounded was he was kind of ready to move on. 
he loved it in Chicago. But like you said, they have Crawford. But, I mean, again, it's Chicago and anything can happen, and that is a really big contract. But I don't want to open a can of worms and say that Crawford's going to be moved or Crawford's not going to be moved. I think it's, uh, I think he's back. That's my personal opinion. But you never know. So really quick before I switch to Boston here on Darling, uh, do you think he gets the opportunity to start somewhere next season? Depends where he goes. Depends if he finds a team. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of teams that are looking for starting goalies, but then there's a lot of goalies, like top-tier goalies, right. that are on the market. I mean, Pittsburgh's going to lose one of their two goalies, I'm almost positive. Unless they work out a deal with uh, with Vegas, you can't keep both Murray and Fleury. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, just for the expansion rules. Uh, Bishop, you know, Ben Bishop's on the market. Um, if Darling goes to a team like Dallas, maybe he can get a starting job. I don't know that he's built for a starting role. I know that in Chicago, when he was uh, thrust into the role because of injuries to Crawford or because Crawford was off his game for X amount of time, um, Darling stepped up. But we've seen in the past where a goalie will do really well as a backup, but it's not a good team, right? So True. they move to another team without uh, the same defense, without the same chemistry. And it just doesn't work for whatever reason. Good point. So on to Boston. Um, you cover the Bruins. You're a Bruins fan. Uh, so what happened against Ottawa? I mean, I, I thought they would run over Ottawa. Uh, personally, it was my pick. It, did injuries catch them? Is that what happened here? Uh, yes and no. I mean, definitely the injuries had a lot to do with it. Officiating had a lot to do with it. But at the same time, you can't make excuses for all the uh, – delay of game penalties where they shot the puck over the glass or the too many men penalties. Um, you can only shoot yourself in the foot so many times before you lose your foot. You know? That's um, a good analogy. But yes. Uh, injuries, thank you. <laughs> but yes, injuries definitely came uh, came to bite them. They were without uh, David Krejci for three of the games. Two two games in two periods. Uh, they started the playoffs without Tory Krug and Brandon Carlo. They lost Colin Miller for a game within the playoffs. He came back, obviously, and they lost uh, Adam McQuaid. So now you're talking about 75% of their top four from the regular season gone. I know Charlie McAvoy comes in, and he kind of uh, lightens the load there. He obviously plays an exceptional six games, but you can't make up for losing three of your four top four defensemen. So what is what does the offseason look like now for Boston? Uh, I mean, they got some injuries. They got some older players. uh but they also have a nice influx of young players coming, too. You mentioned McAvoy. I assume he'll be there all year next season. Uh, some other guys stepped up. Guys like Ryan Spooner could be on the way out. Uh, what's – I guess I'll ask you, I'll put it this way. What is Boston's biggest need going into the offseason? Top six forwards. So forwards? Multiple now. or one? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, let's say forward okay. for now. Okay. And then as I go into it, I'll, I'll decide if I want to change that answer. Okay. <laughs> but uh, defense has been an issue for years. But if you look at the top four next year, it actually looks really solid. You have Zdeno Chara, who at 40 is still looking really good. He's logging over 30 minutes a night in the playoffs, and it took a toll on him. But you could see that he just he could still do it. Um, you'd rather him play around 20 minutes a night, but he could still play that legitimate role if he needs to. Uh, Charlie McAvoy, he's averaging 26, 27 minutes, six games into his career. Uh, Tori Krug, who's obviously one of the best defensemen on the Bruins. Uh-huh. And then Brian Carlo, right. who's still just 20 years old. That top four is the best top four they've had in years. Um, then you go to forwards. Marshan, Bergeron, Pasternak, and Krejci. 
Those are the three locks in your top uh, your top six. David Backus is going to be there. Uh, I mentioned Krejci. I don't know in a perfect world that they would want to keep him, not because he's not a good player, but because of his age, because of his cap hit, and because of his history with injuries. But those all tie into why teams wouldn't want to take him as well. Right. Uh, so right now it looks like they need one top six player. If you're looking at like David Krejci's left wing, for example. But then you have players like uh, Peter Solaric, Danton Heinen, Jake DeBrusque. Those are three uh, prospects playing right now in Providence that look like they could step up and be a top six player. So I know that the Bruins make a splash, but I know that they definitely need some help. Uh, the bottom six looks set. I think it's really just, uh, like you said, injuries caught up to them. And the young influx of talent coming in is going to help a lot. And then there's not a lot of prospects that haven't even gone to the AHL yet. I'm very high on myself personally. So uh, the future looks good. I didn't expect much of this year. I think I mentioned that to you at the beginning of the year, that yep. the Bruins, I wasn't crazy about their chances, maybe making the playoffs, not going on a deep run. They proved me right, unfortunately. They proved me <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, top six forward, biggest need. Okay, and then last Boston question I have for you. What are they going to do with Cassidy? Is he the coach next year, or are they going to maybe look around a little bit first? What do you think is going to happen there? Uh, I mean, he had a great stretch at the end of the year. He got us into the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. The Bruins wouldn't have gone to the playoffs the way they were going. That's not to say Claude Julien isn't a great coach, because I think he's one of the best coaches in the league, and if not, you know, the last, uh, you know, let's say, quarter century, maybe all time. He's one of the greatest. But... It just wasn't working anymore. Sometimes you lose the room. Right. For Cassidy, he seemed to have found the room. They seemed to all be endorsing him. Um, by found the room, I mean, you know, they, they were behind him. Yep. Um, but no, you, uh, I think you have to do your due diligence, and you have to at least look around. But at the same time, if you want to give him the full vote of confidence, you just give him the, tag, uh, the, the title right away. But the issue with that is why wouldn't you have done that sooner? True. So I feel like they want to wait for a reason. I mean, they've been out of the. They've been out for. I mean, it's, it's been less than a week, I would say. But I mean, I haven't really heard them any doing any tire kicking or searching around or anything like that. I don't know about you on your side. No, but I think it'll come. Uh, maybe just uh, not even interviews, but just looking around who's available. Maybe college coaches, you know, than doing an area. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. I mean, you know, David Quinn, BU. Maybe that's a guy they could look at. It's possible. Providence. It's also a very successful program there. Interesting. We'll keep an eye on that. So, last thing I want to ask you about here, it kind of segues into my next guest. Uh, you wrote an article about the Canadians. Uh, in my your favorite own... team. <laughs> <laughs> in this your... isn't true. <laughs> you're just from Montreal, right? That's correct. You're from Montreal, you cover the Blackhawks, and you're a Bruins fan. So that's that's Brandon for you, for those who didn't know. Um, but <laughs> But his overtime with BSC column, which I recommend our listeners to definitely check out. He does that. I think what is that a weekly thing you do? Uh, four or five times a week. Oh, perfect. Okay, four or five times a week, even better. So definitely check that out. Keep your eyes out for that at the Hockey Writers. Uh, but the last, the most recent one you did, Canadians need to find an identity. Uh, so I'll kind of hand it over to you here to maybe elaborate what you mean here, what you were trying to get at in your article. Okay. Um. I think everybody knows, they're familiar with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, you know, first place in the division uh, pretty much the entire year. But there's always those questions about the roster. On paper, it doesn't look like it should work. But it did. Um, 
it worked to a certain extent, obviously. They lost in the first round. Uh, it wasn't really close after Game 5. It seemed like the momentum completely switched after New York tied the game up in Game 5. Right. But uh, I feel like they have a lot of questions to be answered. And it's questions that have been surfacing for a few weeks, and now they're really starting to all come to a, a boiling point. You know, Alexander Radulov, is he still with the team next year? And if he is, what does his contract look like? Alex Galchenyuk, is he still with the team? Is he a center? Is he a winger? Is he top six? Is he bottom six? I think they kind of blew him out of proportion, his uh, his quote-unquote bad season. I think when he doesn't have the puck, he looks invisible. I think when he's on his game, he's one of the best offensive talents you'll see. I agree. Uh, Andre Markov's not getting any younger, but he's still very effective. And he still wants to be with the team, and they want him. So I think they get something done there. But I think they have to really start figuring out who they are, and they have to start figuring out what they need I mean, the biggest thing is obviously a center. Yeah. They needed it since the you know, early 90s. They've needed a legitimate number one center. And I know that there's always the talk about, oh, it's not easy to get a top center. They're not available. But if you look around the league at all the top centers that have been traded or have signed elsewhere, you know, Dallas, their top two centers, Tyler Sagan and Jason Spezza, were both traded. Uh, Eric Stahl signed in Minnesota. Ryan Johansson was traded. Ryan O'Reilly in Buffalo. The goes on. Ryan O'Reilly in Buffalo, exactly. The list goes on. You can get those players. So I don't know what Montreal's been waiting for. And if you look at their history, they trade away a lot of, uh, I guess, just uh, draft capital. And they like those bottom six players that fill certain roles that can, I guess, step up in a pinch, but that aren't legitimate game changers. And if you look at their roster, it's actually really funny how many bottom six players are on the team, and they make it work somehow. And I don't get it, but they make it work. Now, if that's their identity, that's fine. But they still need one more piece, and they need to really figure out which way they're going. And I think they kind of started that trend when they they, uh, they traded for Shea Weber in the offseason. But I still think they need to really decide who they are, what their core looks like, and just make that final push. So good stuff from Brandon Cohen, who covered three teams for you there. That's pretty impressive. Uh, he is the lead, hack, lead writer for the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, at the Hockey Writers, he's also a featured columnist. Uh, he's a site expert at Causeway Crowd. And also, i got to throw this in there, he is an NHL scout and contributor for Beyond the Blade. So thank you for that, Brandon. As some of you know, I, that's a podcast I host. Uh, you can follow Brandon on Twitter at BShareCohen. I highly recommend you do that. Highly recommend you check out Brandon's articles because, as you could tell from him, like I said, covering three teams in about a span of 20 minutes, he knows his stuff. Pretty impressive. Brandon, thanks for coming on, man. I'm sure I'll get you on here again. I'm looking forward to it. Always available. Welcome back to episode 17 of the Hockey Writers Live here on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel. So as I ended my last uh, interview there with Brandon, we did a little Montreal coverage for a few seconds, but I wanted to save all the Montreal talk here for Nick. So I went to Nick Guido, who's a contributing writer for the Montreal Canadiens at the Hockey Writers. Nick, Chad here, man. Thanks for coming on. No problem, Chad. How's it going? Good, good. How are, uh, how are things in Montreal these days? Things are rough. <laughs> Rob's an understatement, actually. Yeah, it, it seemed that way. So, um, let's see, where do I want to start here? There's so many different angles to go out with Montreal, a team who won the division, by the way. 
Um, so I, I guess I'll start here. The Habs are bounced in six by a deeper Rangers team. And everybody wants to trade Carey Price and Pacioretty. I mean, that's not really going to happen, right? I mean, we, we did see him trade P.K. Subban, but I guess specifically Price. Like, there, there's no way this guy is trading Carey Price, correct? No, there's no way. Okay. Price will be out for a long time. Uh, I believe that. And if, uh, but, but again, though, Mark Bergevin, no one knows what Mark Bergevin does, really, because last year at this time he said the exact same thing about P.K., and P.K. is playing in the playoffs for Nashville right now. But uh, in the case of Price, uh, I don't think it happens. So what about Pacioretty, though? Pacioretty, I don't either. I, I, I really think that Pacioretty, he, well, he, he vanished in the playoffs. He really only had a couple plays where he was even noticeable on the ice, especially the play in overtime there, which actually led to the Radulov goal in Game 2, or game two, I believe. Okay. And uh, he, that's really the only play in the series where you really noticed him. I, I, he had 20-plus shots. But really, if you're comparing shots to actual scoring chances, it's it's kind of uh, you got to take that with a grain of salt. So, but Pacioretty, I, I think there's just too much offensive pressure on three guys on the entire roster. That's basically what it comes down to. So I, I don't see Pacioretty going anywhere at all. So I, every time we talk, I, I ask you this. I feel bad, but I still <laughs> wonder myself. You know how much how much leash does this guy have left? I mean. It's, is Bergevin safe? I mean, we, let's step back. Look, I mean, he made the bold move to get Julian. That that was a good move. But then we look at his deadline. Steve Ott, King, Davidson, Jordy Ben is all in. I like Jordy Ben, so that was a good move. I'll give him that. Yep. But the other ones, Andreas Martinson in. David Darnay, Sven Andriagato out. I mean, Andriagato played pretty well in Colorado when he went there. We saw Darnay score an overtime game-winning goal for Edmonton. I don't know. I mean, did he think just getting a whole bunch of fourth-liners would really help his team and I guess I'll, the first question, is he really safe? Well, uh, I think that if, if next season goes any way the way this one did, and I'm not talking about the season because, as you know, the season doesn't mean anything. You get to the playoffs, it's entirely different. Right. So if it, if it ends in another first-round exit next year, I think he's done. I, I, it's been five years. Five years and you see the same old Montreal Canadiens. If you look back to, to 2012, 2013 there when he took over, when the year they drafted, uh, year they drafted or the year after they drafted Galchenyuk, around that time, yep. they had Placanic, Pacioretty, Gallagher, Galchenyuk as part of their top six. You fast forward to now; those four players are still in their top six, and they've only added Radulov. <laughs> so it's hmm. and it's it's been five years. So as for the deadline, like you you go and and what did the Montreal Canadiens need most? They needed offense. It's, it's, it's a continuous problem with the Habs that they don't have anybody that can score. And then you leave the offensive responsibility on three or four guys. And that, that it just doesn't work. And so you go out and you get a guy like King who, honestly, <laughs> he was bad. He, he was bad. And Ott, you give him, Ott's a fourth-line center. Like, fourth-line, not an everyday NHLer anymore. Right. And, you know, Ott, Ott played his heart out, but it's Steve Ott, right? Yep. Um, Andreas Martinson didn't have enough puck skill to stay in the lineup. All he all he did was bring a big body, and, and at the deadline, his goal was to make the Canadians tough to play against. Well, the Canadians' version of tough to play against is their speed and skill. It's overmatching you with that. It's not overmatching you with their size and their hitting. Like, Paul Byron had the most hits 
in the Ranger Canadian series. That, that, sh- that shouldn't happen. <laughs> they, they completely abandoned their speed and skill game to try and out-hit the Rangers and wear them down physically, when really they should have been wearing them down with their speed. And all of Bergevin's deadline acquisitions kind of led up to playing that style of hockey. So it, it, it was really just questionable and it's it's his uh, he's just been questionable for five years you have you have Deneau playing first line center when really in, on rea- in reality he'd be a very good third line center yep so the top two center positions are empty and, and you can't win like that so you mentioned Galchenia I guess that's where I want to go next you know what's the story with him he's RFA this summer um I, I think the fact that he was playing fourth line minutes to me, is an absolute joke in the playoffs. Uh, but what's the deal? I mean, he wasn't very committal about, you know, staying in Montreal or wanting to be there at least. Um, I mean, that's understandable for a young player who maybe just had a frustrating end of his season. I mean, we saw kind of the same thing here with Jack Eichel. But what what do you think happens with Galchenyuk this summer? Well, Galchenyuk, I think it's, it's, it's two pieces. It's like I keep talking about the offensive responsibility falling on three guys. It's falling on Radulov, Patriot, and Galchenyuk, really. Because Gallagher, you look back, he was hurt for most of the year. And other other than that, he had a down year offensively. Paul Byron came out of nowhere. There really wasn't any expectation to him scoring 20 goals. So you're, you're, you have three guys taking on the offensive responsibility. And Galchenyuk, he's not ready to be a number one center yet. And it's been five years, so part of that, I guess, has to go on him. But part of it also has to go to organizational development that Montreal lock thereof, I'd say. Because if you look in their system, who's come up the last five years that's made a difference? Other than Arturi Lakin and and that's it. Right. <laughs> You've only looked five years and one guy's come up. So with, with regards to Galchenik, now he's an RFA. He's going to want five to six million dollars a season. If you're just... And, and Bergevin at the end of the year press conference on Monday, basically said he was going to start next year as a winger if he was back on the team. So, where do you go with that? You need two centermen now if he's starting on the wing. And where do you find two top centermen? You just yeah, don't. Right. So, so as for Galchenyuk, I, I, I think that they'll look to use him in a deal. That's what I think. I, I can see him coming back next season. And like I said, it's not all his fault. It's it's a lot with high expectations on a player that just might not be ready for that 1C role yet and who really has lack of offensive players around him to help him out. So I think it's kind of both with Galchenyuk. It's it's on the player, but it's also on management like it has been. So it'll he's a really interesting storyline to follow as we, as we move along here for the Habs. So I want to get back to the number one center thing here, but I'm going to ask about one more player first before we go there. And you recently wrote an article about Alexander Radulov, heart of a Canadian. So he is a UFA this uh, upcoming summer. He was a move that, I mean, you got to give Bergevin credit. It worked. I was skeptical about it when he made the move. I didn't think it would work. I thought Radulov would kind of tune out, and then he would be gone however to the season. Well, it didn't turn out that way. So he said he wants to be back. I'm assuming the Canadians want him back. Do you think, first of all, at the end of the day, that he is back next season in Montreal? Like, what a player. I, I he itch, When they signed him, you know, you're sitting there July 1st, you're thinking, okay, you got David Backus out there, you got Kyle Oposo out there, you got, you know, and then all of a sudden Rajalov's name comes up and they sign him. 
And then you think to the year before when they signed Semin and what a total disaster that was. He wasn't even on the roster right. past December. Right. So they signed Rogeloff, and he comes in with, with a completely different attitude than what we remember him with Nashville. And his motor didn't stop from training camp all the way to the last game of the season. And he was the player that ran that team. His engine ran that team. So you want to talk about a guy that delivers effort, that cares for his teammates, cares for his team, cares for the fans, and you you have to find a way to get that done. I, I, I think his expression of of wanting to stay is, is huge because really, though, you look at a market like Montreal, like it's a lot to handle. So for a guy like that, you know, coming from Russia, you know, coming to Montreal – and wanting to stay and having all that fanfare with them, the fans love him. So I think I think Bergevin wants him back, and I I know he wants to be back, is what he says. So I'm thinking it's going to be between five and six and a half million, anywhere in that range. I'd say between three or four years, and I, I think it'll get done because really you you lose Rajilov and it's just another hole. Yeah. So if you you have a you have a player like that, and you, you really don't want to see him get away. And he's expressed interest that he wants to sign before July first. But as you know, the expansion draft is going to complicate things with regards to protection lists and stuff. So I'd expect something probably after the expansion draft, just kind of before July first. But I think he'll be back for sure. I don't I don't think there's any reason to doubt that he'll get away. Yeah, I mean they can always you know agree to a deal in principle and not sign exactly. a for the draft, and that makes sense. Uh, so back to the number one center thing. That's my last question here. How does Montreal get that top center? I mean, are they going to have to, like you said, are they going to have to use Galchenyuk? Are they going to have to part with a guy like Sergeyev to move to get that number one center? Because number one centers don't grow on trees, and they're not traded very often in this league. So, I mean, is there, how, in your mind, how do they go about getting that top center they so desperately need? See, well, I think, as I told you, they need two centermen. So, okay. <laughs> and, you, and as you said, they don't grow on trees. And Mark Bergevin is famous for the line that says, trades are hard to make. Well, Mark, they are hard, but... It's your job, buddy. It's your job, exactly. It's your job, and you haven't done anything the past five years. It's just, it's simple. And so, um, I think they have to take the approach of a, a two-way, two-beer... 1B, 2A approach. You, you can't just go all out and get the number one center because you're going to trade everything and you're covered. And their cover's pretty bare when you talk about prospects and, and all that. And, and Bergevin loves his draft pick. So, but, you know, at this point, you have no choice because you, you end up in the same spot next year and, and you're gone. So it's kind of his final stand. And you saw what his final stand part one was <laughs> last year when he traded Subin for Weber. And right. Weber was fantastic this playoff. He was one of their better players. Yep. So... That, that that right now is working out for him. But as for the number one center spot, you can't have Philip Deneau going one-on-one with with whoever next year because it's just not going to work. So I think I think the expansion draft is going to have a lot of movement. It's going gonna, it's gonna to force teams to make trades they necessarily don't want to make. And also there's, there's quite a few restricted free agents this year that are going to put teams in a bind. So we might have to look at the, the route of offer sheeting. I know it some GMs frown upon that, but really he's got no choice anymore. And uh, so I think he's going to have to look at a couple of centers that have the capability to play on top lines, but but are more suited in the second line role and, and just kind of win with, with uh, quantity over quality, if you want to say that. But 
I think they do need two guys that can come in and, and handle the load of that number one center and kind of split it between the two of them. And I think having to know on the third line that a Michael McCarron on the fourth would, would, would be a big improvement over what they have right now. So I actually have one more question for you because I'm looking at the roster here um, and listening to you talk and I'm kind of thinking as you're talking, if they can't get this number one center and basically let's say they have next season all over again and then they're out in the first round, I mean, they're not necessarily that young of a team. Like I said, the, the cupboard is pretty bare. I mean, are is Montreal teetering on one more early round knockout to starting to think about a, a rebuild or at least a retool here? Well, there's a couple factors that go into that, and I know some people in the in the Canadians media right now are actually calling for a total teardown. But um, a few factors: you you traded for Weber; he's got eight years left on his contract. Oh my god! And you know, <laughs> exactly. He's he's gonna he's gonna be there a while. So you have him. If you sign, if you end up signing Price, you'll have him. Um, you have guys like Gallagher and. You got guys like Shaw to a lesser extent, and and depending on what happens with Rajoff, those guys all end up on long term deals. I really, I don't see how you can tear it all down, but I I, I think that if you have a goaltender like Carey Price and you have a, a defenseman like Shea Weber and a, an elite scorer like Max Pacioretty, then you can't really tear it down until they've maxed out. So I I think this team will kind of stick together until those main contracts ride out and for better if it's the, if it's the right decision or if it's the wrong decision I really don't think they have a choice at this point I just think that if Bergevin doesn't do something within this next year he won't be the guy making those decisions come 2018 so we'll we'll, we'll see what he does in the offseason I think the expansion draft between the expansion draft and July 1st he's he's gonna have some most eyes watching him over uh, over the entire league. So he's he's in for a big summer, and and he better do something because fans and and even players are, are getting tired of this kind of mediocre team that they always seem to put out, and and they're looking for results. I mean, like like I said, I'm looking here. I mean, it for me, it, it kind of sets up that way. He has a bad summer, not a bad summer, but he doesn't get the guy that he needs. And let's say he's gone next summer, and another GM comes in. I mean, you have Radulov is 30 right now. Patch Reddy's 28. Weber's 31. Like you said, he's signed for over 20 years. Uh, Terry Price is going to be 30 years old. Markov's 38 years old. I mean, your youngest guy is, you know, Lekanen. I mean, if, and then if you move Galchenyuk, too, Andrew Shaw has had another concussion, and he's had concussion issues in his past. So how much longer he's yep. going to last? It just, for me, it sets up that, if this summer doesn't go the way they need and next season goes the proper way, Bergevin's going to be out. I mean, new GM could walk in here and just go, I-, I just need to rip this down and do it over again. And uh, Absolutely. That's, that's, and that's the thing, right? That, that's why this next offseason is, is so big. Because if you, if you fail to build the team the right way, for five years he, he has failed. So it's really little confidence to what he's going to do this offseason, right? And, and someone else comes in, you're right, they could have that mindset and said, I can't do anything with these 33-plus players, you know? Like, what are you going to do with them? So, right. so and, and like, like you said, they don't have any young players. Their, their cupboard's pretty bare. you got Sergachev, you have Juleson, but you have no forward prospects. So you have Charles Houdon, who the Canadians don't really seem to like because he's never been up, and he leads he continuously 
top 10 AHL scoring throughout the season this year. And, and what do they lack? Scoring. And they just haven't called them up. So just, and, and like Bergevin's been saying in his press conferences, when you pick in the 20s, like they have lately, it's it's hard to find good players. Well, That's not Mark, nice. if, 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 it's, <laughs> if you're picking in the 20s, then why are you valuing your draft picks so much? Trade them for some immediate help. And he hasn't done that, you know? There's two sides to it. So you're right. If this offseason really will dictate the next five to ten years of the Canadians, whether or not they stay in contention until Price and Weber's contracts are over, or if they just blow it up. Yeah, I mean, you. I saw it on Twitter, too, and hearing you talk, it, it sounds like a, still a lot of excuse-making from Bergevin, you know, at least in his press conference, you know, like you just said, the it's hard to make trades while well, it's your job. You know, we're always picking the 20s. Well, the Chicago Blackhawks forgot how to do it every single year. They had these kids come out of nowhere and play. But it sounds like excuses for a guy who's, I think, just running running out of track here. And, and what was interesting, too, with, with the Monday press conference was he was re- he was very relaxed. He was he was really, like, just sitting back and taking all the questions in stride, a couple laughs, a couple... It's, it's, it's just five years... And you basically have the same team you inherited. And and you're getting the same results. Right. So something has to change. Whether you're trading draft picks, whether you're trading core pieces, what like what what gives, right? And, and it goes back to the deadline when you have a player like Matt Duchesne available. So if you're gonna go into the playoffs and put Galchenyuk on the fourth line, why not trade Galchenyuk at the deadline in a deal somehow to get a Matt Duchesne. When you know that Matt Duchesne is going to play on your top two lines and he's got one of the highest face-off percentages in the league, and sure, maybe you're trading Alex Galchenyuk for, for an older, not, not by much, but an older player, right? But if you're not going to use Galchenyuk where he's supposed to be used and put him on the fourth line, you, you're at that point where you now have to do these things to, yep. to try everything you can to win a Stanley Cup. So it, it, it'll, it'll see this, we'll see this offseason. He's really got to jump out of his comfort zone, and he, he hasn't shown that he's been able to do that. So he, he's, a lot of eyes are watching him, and a lot of people are growing really tired of his, his, his antics and his, his core beliefs that really don't seem to be working with, with how the Canadians are built and what they need to do to be successful. So Nick Guido Excellent Montreal Canadiens talk right there. Uh, Nick is the Hockey Writers contributing writer for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, you can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Guido, THW. I recommend you do that. He knows his Montreal stuff. And as we just talked about here for 20 minutes or so, there's a lot going on in Montreal for a team who just won the division. So definitely something to keep an eye on. I'm sure, Nick, you'll have a lot to, uh, lot to write about this summer. <laughs> there won't be many breaks in the coming months, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, Nick, thanks for coming on, man. Um, sure I'll have you on again here at some point because I'm sure the Canadians will make news somehow, some way. We'll have to talk about it again. That's for sure. Thanks for having me on, Chad.
Welcome back to the Hockey Writers Live here on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel for our final segment. So we had some good hockey talk today. We had Kyle on to talk about the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, we had Brandon come on and talk about the Chicago Blackhawks, the Boston Bruins, and a little bit of Montreal. And then we ended it with a great conversation I felt on the Canadians. And there was a lot going on in Montreal, man. I mean, like I said to Nick, looking at the the roster here, I mean, Montreal is, talk about a team who needs to have a big summer, have a big season next year. There can be some major changes coming to that great hockey city. So we'll definitely you know, keep an eye on Nick and keep a close watch on that. Uh, so my usual spiel here at the end, make sure you're following the Hockey Writers on Twitter at the Hockey Writer. Uh, make sure you're going to the Hockey Writers website, checking out all the excellent articles we have there. Uh, follow us through the remainder of the playoffs. Also, there are articles up on teams like the Sabres, like the Canadians, uh, the Bruins. You know, teams that are out of the playoffs, there's still a lot to talk about, still lots to write about. You know, we have expansion draft, the NFL draft, or the NHL draft, excuse me, and free agency all within a couple months here. So there's a lot to talk about, a lot to get into, so make sure you're checking that out. And then make sure you check out the Hockey Writers podcast channel to check out this podcast, Beyond the Blade, the other podcast that I co-host, Facing Off Podcast, Blue Shirt Bolts, and Tampa Bay Lightning Power Play Live, Steel City Hockey Podcast, Vegas Hockey Podcast, Black and Gold Hockey Podcast, the uh, Hockey Nuts Podcast. And then also, if you're interested in writing at the Hockey Writers, we do have some openings. We added a lot of great writers over the last couple weeks. Uh, So we have openings right now for Anaheim, Boston, Detroit, Florida, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Montreal, and St. Louis, as well as the Business of Hockey, Prospects, OHL, and the National Women's Hockey League. Last but not least, make sure you subscribe, rate, share on iTunes, SoundCloud, and the Hockey Writers Podcast channel. So, for Chad Dedemanesis, I am out of here this week. I will talk to you next week. Maybe we'll get some more playoff stuff. Uh, but it's the NHL. It's a lot going on. We'll see what happens over the next few days here. Maybe we have a new hiring in Buffalo. Sounds like we have a new hiring in Vancouver for a head coach with Travis Green. Uh, so check back next week, see what else we have to talk about. Thank you very much for listening, and also look for a couple articles that we talked about today to be linked on Twitter and in the uh, description below of the podcast. So I will talk to you next week. See you later.